So let's go to 1 John. Go with me there, and we will read, starting in chapter 3, verse 10. And we will read through verse 18. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one, and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we open your word this morning, would you open our ears this morning? As we open your word and bring it to light, would you open our hearts and bring them to light? God, I pray right now that you would just clear our minds of all of the things that may be distracting us or weighing us down that would cloud out, choke out your word this morning. That would cloud out or choke out hearing and receiving with enthusiasm your word this morning. Being led by your spirit this morning. God, we are not Eastern mystics. We don't clear our minds, empty ourselves. We are Christians. We fill our mind with your thoughts. We are Christians. We think on what is good and holy. And so this morning, God, remove from our minds those things that are not good and open our mind to the things that you would have us hear and receive this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You guys tired? You seem tired, I'm not going to lie. You seem tired. Maybe it's just because there is a lot of stuff going on in the world. And I, I don't know for you, but for me, like it's been, besides our trip, it's been just a whirlwind to, to see the things that are happening in the news and to see the things that are happening around us. And I'm just sitting here going like, There are so many things, and I don't even know what to think about 99% of them. And so there's a lot going on, on a big scale and on a little scale. And I don't know about you, maybe that's affecting part of, you know, the cloud that I see over this morning. Maybe it's just you're tired this morning. I know, that's all right. 
Um, but I just want to encourage you before we get into our text. You are here today for such a time as this. I was given the assignment of our text because that's where we were. So the word to hear this morning is for you and for me this morning. That's what God wants us to hear this morning. So let's try and just not be bogged down by the distractions, but the things that we need to not be concerning ourselves with. And let's think on the things that we do need to be concerning ourselves with this morning. And what we may find is that when we think on those good and right things, it may bring clarity and shine a light on how we are to think about some of these other insane things that are happening over here. Insane things. I know. And so let's, let me set this stage real quick before we get into our particular text, starting in verse 10. 1 John was probably written, it's really likely that this letter was written from the um, city of Ephesus. And so if it's interesting, if you look at the end of Paul's letter to the Ephesians, he ends his letter to the Ephesians this way. He says this, grace be with you, uh, grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. With love incorruptible. And then, if you consider the exhortation to the church in Ephesus that's found in the book of Revelation, um, when Jesus speaks to the church in Ephesus, the exhortation, um, he, Jesus commends their works, their toil, their patient endurance. He commends their works, their toil, their patient endurance. And he talks specifically about how they've stood against the false teachers. And this is what John's talking about too. They've stood against the false teachers, the Antichrist, who have risen up and gone out from among the apostles. Um, And so when you get to that, what Jesus says to the church in Ephesus, he says, I'm commending your works, your toil, your patient endurance. But he says this, I have this against you that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. Notice the, the connection that Jesus makes between the love and the works there. He says, you have good works, you've patiently endured, but remember from where you've fallen, the love you had at first Go back to the first works. Go back to your first love. Now, that's interesting. In 1 John, love is clearly a theme. And um, love is a theme along with light and truth. And so for John and for all of us who would have a biblical worldview, a biblical view of these things, the matters of love and truth and light that's another theme in John. They're not mere ideas. They're not mere bodiless concepts. God is love. God is love. Truth is a man. Truth was born of a virgin. It would be heresy to say that if it wasn't true. Do you realize that? Like, that's crazy, but it's true. So it's not so crazy. Or maybe it's still crazy, but it's still true. Consider how John begins his gospel. If you look at 1 John chapter 1, uh, verse 4, 1 through 4, he says this, In the beginning was the Word, 
and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Who was in the beginning? The word, the logos, was in the beginning with God. And the word was God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And then verse 14, verse 14, and the word, the logos, that word has so much philosophical like weight behind it. So the philosophers are hearing that, hearing John start that way, and they're thinking, all right, let's talk philosophy And then he gets to verse 14, and the logos, the word, the reason, the logic, the logos, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. This isn't philosophy anymore. This is the word made flesh. Look at the way John begins his letter here, 1 John chapter 1. That which was from the beginning, notice the connection, notice the similarity, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest and we have seen it and testify to it, and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father, and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father, and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Verses 5 and 6. Listen to this. This is the message that we have heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Our text today, where we're at today in the third chapter, verse 10, it begins with this phrase, By this, it is evident. By this, it is evident. It appears that is a pretty significant point that John is seeking to drive home. Here is the evidence. By this, it is evident. Here is the evidence. Here's how you can know. Here's how you can know the nature of your relationship with God and with his body, the church. Our adoption as children of God is something that should be evident. Should be evident. By this, it is evident, John says. At the beginning of the letter, John says, he is writing in verse four. He says, he is writing that our joy may be complete. Later in the end of the letter, in verse 513, chapter 513, he says he is writing that we may know we have eternal life. These are not bodiless ideas for John, and they shouldn't be for us. 
John is getting to evidence. By this, it is evident. He wants you, Christian, to have confidence, to know, to have a, a concrete knowledge that leads to a particular way of life, a particular attitude, demeanor. So let's get into our text. What is the evidence by which we can determine who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil? Well, there's, in a sense, who are the elect? It's not our business. God's secret decrees is not our business. And and, And in the sense that Ultimately, who's going to make it or who doesn't make it is none of our business. And we, we don't get to speculate whether or not people can have deathbed conversions or whether or not really bad people can slip in at the very end. That kind of stuff. We don't know. That's none of our business. Who the elect are is up to God, ultimately. And we need to be okay with that. On the other hand, Jesus, we are told in no uncertain terms, that you can have assurance of your salvation. You can have assurance of your salvation. And I can also see that. I can see that evidence in your life, just like you should be able to see that evidence in my life. What is the evidence by which we can determine who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil? Practice of righteousness. Practice of righteousness. And love for brother. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. This, you're not going to hear anything spectacularly um, profound this morning that you probably have never heard before. John's exhortation to us here is almost awkwardly simplistic because it is it it makes us uncomfortable to a point because it is so cut and dry you almost want to argue with john and say are you sure it's that cut and dry what about all the people who have bad days and all the stuff and john's not talking about people who have bad days by the way but it's almost awkwardly simplistic and this is what he says Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Do you hate your brother in your heart? Then you're not of God. You need to remedy that situation. Way back in Leviticus chapter 19, verses 18, God says, you shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Way back in Leviticus, you know the book that everybody likes to skip? Because it's Leviticus. We're going to skip that one. No, it's, it's an interesting book. It's actually, God's quoted directly a lot in that book. In fact, more than any other book in the Bible. If you take quotations, it's, it's in, incredible. And way back there, this is what God says to his people. Love your neighbor as yourself. That sounds super new covenanty, doesn't it? And yet here it is, way back there. Jesus, in John 13, 34, he says this, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. And so we say, well, is this a new commandment or is this an old commandment? Jesus says it's a new commandment. I better pay attention to what this means. 
And John actually has already addressed that newness, oldness mystery. In, in chapter 2, verses 7 and 8, let me read it to you. It says, Be, Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him, in who? In Christ. It is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. John answers the question by pointing out that Christ, Christ is the newness of the old commandment that is new. Christ is the newness. The light has now come. The darkness is passing away. Christ and his completed work is the newness of that old command. And so now in Christ, we are shown, Christians are shown, the church is shown, God's people are shown how we are to love one another in new and fresh ways. For example, in John 13, the Gospel of John, when Jesus gives this new command, Judas had just gone out to betray Jesus. Judas goes out and he betrays Jesus and then we are given this, this command. And so we have this contrasting context of Judas's treason and Jesus's sacrifice. Judas says, Jesus, you die. I'm laying your life down, Jesus. And Jesus says, I'll die. I'll lay my life down. Judas, treason, you, your life must go. I am betraying you and laying your life down for you. Jesus says, I'm laying my life down for you. I'm laying my life down for you. The contrast there needs to be <laughs> clear. Judas selfishly offered Christ to die. Christ selflessly offered himself to die. In addition, if we stay in John um, in that section, we go on. After the command is given, Jesus predicts Peter's denial. Jesus goes on and he predicts Peter's denial. And so the command to love one another like Christ loves us is also a call to us to love even when we are wronged, even when we are betrayed. Christ is the newness of the old command. And so even for those who do not deserve our love, we sacrificially love. And this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we love one another. But guess what? From the beginning, humanity has failed to do this. From the beginning, humanity has failed to accomplish loving one another well. This is why John immediately now brings up in verse 12, Cain and Abel. We go back to the beginning of our history. We can go back even before Cain and Abel, but Cain and Abel's story serves to drive this point home very clearly. Brothers, one hated the other. 
Why? Why did one hate the other? Because Cain, his deeds were evil because he was of the devil. And Abel, his deeds were righteous. He was a child of God. Cain hated his brother and murdered him. Why? Because Cain's deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. Cain didn't like that contrast. Cain did not like that contrast in Abel's life, that light that Abel's life shone on him. The author of Hebrews in in chapter 11, verse 4, makes it clear that Abel offered a more excellent sacrifice. Abel did this because he was really smart? No. Abel may have been really smart. Abel did this by faith. Abel did this by faith. And this is also what John is telling us. Abel practiced righteousness. Abel's deeds were righteous and they were righteous by faith. Now, if you believe in total depravity, that might make you a little bit nervous the way that John's talking. Again, his deeds were righteous. Aren't our our righteous deeds even as filthy rags unto the Lord? Yes, and, and we can't take this to mean that Abel's righteousness was perfect law-keeping. Abel was not a perfect law-keeper. Abel, just like Cain, was a depraved human who needed a savior, Jesus Christ. Abel was no different than Cain in that regard. The, the difference is, this is what John Calvin calls imperfect obedience, And he says, that imperfect obedience is motivated by fear of God from the heart. Imperfect obedience motivated by fear of God from the heart. That's what Abel had. Abel feared God. Abel had faith in God. And so Abel imperfectly obeyed God. He was not a perfect law keeper. He He was depraved and in need of a savior just like everybody else, which, by the way, was why he was bringing offerings to God. He was thanking God because God's God and Abel's not God. And so John Calvin says it's the imperfect obedience motivated by fear. We could say it this way. Um, The point isn't that we must achieve sinless perfection. And this is one of those things that John does multiple times throughout his letter. He talks in such a way that can kind of make us antsy if we're if we're a little bit too introspective, if you're a little bit sensitive, he can make you really antsy. And all of a sudden you're like, oh, if I sin, I'm not a Christian? Okay, well, I guess I'm not a Christian. Guess that counts me out. And, and we, we need to be careful not to get a little bit too introspective and, and understand what John's saying. We can say it this way. It's not that we're aiming for sinless perfection. That's impossible. Let me just tell you, that's impossible as long as you are in your weak flesh, you will never achieve sinless perfection. Okay? You won't. That's impossible. Um, As long as we are in this corruptible, weak flesh that is passing away, we will not be perfect. We will not be sinless. This is why we long for the day when we put these bodies, they go into the ground and are resurrected 
new. So rather, our righteous deeds are nothing more than imperfect obedience that is born out of faith in God and fear of God. We have faith in God and we fear God and so we imperfectly obey him. We imperfectly trust him. All right, we don't get it all right, but the good news that John told us just a a little bit before in the first chapter in verse nine is this. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's not that we are without sin. It's that we are washed clean. You are not going to achieve sinless perfection. That's not the point. The point is that in Jesus Christ, you are washed clean. You are washed clean by his blood Thanks be to God. You will not achieve sinless perfection, and yet you are counted perfectly righteous in Christ Jesus because of what he's done. Did you notice that in the, in the assurance of pardon today? God is faithful and just. He is faithful and just. He's not just faithful and putting up with you because you are still a sinner, because you're still working out that salvation. You still screw up constantly. He's not just faithful and saying, oh, no, good thing I'm faithful. I'm still, still here and still faithful. John says he is faithful, yes, but he is just, which means he is looking to Jesus, who is the advocate, your advocate with the Father. God is just, and so he does not hold you guilty because of Jesus. He is just. That should blow your mind. He is just, and so he does not hold you guilty. And Of course, that does not mean that as Christians now in Christ, we go on continuing to willfully dive headlong into sin. We don't go willfully and carelessly sinning. No, we we assume a posture of bold repentance before the throne of grace. That's what we do. You aren't going to achieve sinless perfection. You need to assume a posture of bold repentance before the throne of grace. You go to God every single day and you confess your sin and you receive his repentance. When you confess your sin, what's the, what's the response? What's the reaction? It is relief because God is faithful and just and he actually forgives you. He actually forgives you. And so that bold repentance before the throne of grace is your posture. You stay there, camp out right there before the throne of grace. If you catch yourself, by the way, feeling like, oh man, I've repented too much, too frequently. I need to step back away from this throne of grace and through this repentance and beat myself up a little bit, feel a little bit bad about my sin for a little bit of time before I go back to the throne of grace then you're not confessing your sin to the right God. You're taking your sin to your own self and to try and deal with it 
And don't do that. John ends his letter with 1 John. Uh, Little children, keep yourselves from idols, you included. You are not a better God than God. So stop trying. Don't try. Take your sin to God. Repent before God and receive his forgiveness. Move on. It's over. It's done. Let's keep going. You could tell I'm not used to preparing these. Make sure I don't end too soon or too late. I'm still working that out. So sorry if I go wait, wait. Um, it won't be too soon. Um, no, we won't go too long. Verse 13, it's also important to note that John brings up the example of Cain and Abel for another reason. He, he brings it up to teach us that we are to love and endure by faith even when we are gratuitously hated. Even when the world hates you for no reason. What did I ever do to you? Wrong question. You're going to spin your wheels trying to figure the answer to that one out. When we are hated gratuitously for free, we need to understand that this is a feature of being distinct from the world. This is a feature, not a bug. We are distinct from the world. We are in light. They are in darkness. They're going, they're going to hate you. And you say, well, what did I ever do to you? Nothing. Your life condemns them. You understand? They say, don't judge me. And you realize you don't ever have to open your mouth and say a word to them for them to feel that prick of the Holy Spirit if you're doing it right. And so what did Abel do to justify Cain's hatred? Nothing. He did nothing to justify it. And especially when we are scorned, when we're hated, when we are unjustly persecuted, we have the opportunity you have the opportunity in those moments when life is unfair, when life doesn't go the way you think it should be going right now, when people are rude and ugly and unfair to you for no valid reason whatsoever, you are given in those moments an opportunity to show the kind of love that Christ showed you. You're given the opportunity to show the kind of sacrificial love that Christ showed you, you undeserving stinker. You, un, you did not deserve Christ's love, and yet while you were still a sinner, Christ died for you. You didn't deserve it, and Christ gave it anyway. You, in those moments, are given the opportunity, and that's the way you need to see it. It's an opportunity to show, to demonstrate, to manifest the love of Christ to the world. They may kill you just like they killed him. And, right? If we start making, if we start determining how we're going to love and live based upon whether or not we get killed, then I would just tell you now, stop wasting your time with Christianity. Stop wasting your time at church. Stop wasting your time because that's the whole point of this faith. This whole, the whole point of this faith is that Christ died so you could die. 
you may die. A hundred and ten years old in bed peacefully, you may die because at the hands of unjust, evil, wicked, cruel men like our brothers and sisters are right now in Afghanistan. Wherever that lands for us, our call is the same. We live faithfully, we love sacrificially. John says we should not be surprised when the world hates us. From the very beginning, at the fall, God foretold that there would be enmity between the seed of the woman, which is who? Which is Christ. But guess what? It is also Christ and all of the adopted sons that we now are. There is going to be enmity between the seed of the woman, who is Christ and all of his brothers and sisters, and the seed of the serpent, who is the devil. And so the problem is too often we are surprised and dismayed when the world hates us. We get surprised. We get dismayed. Oh my gosh. They're saying really ugly things about us. They're being mean to us. Why do they hate us so much? We fall into the trap where we become, where we try and become more acceptable to the world. We don't like rejection, and so we fall into the trap to become more acceptable to the world. We begin to compromise with the world to make them like us instead of fearing God only. Consider the Cain and Abel situation, and just hypothetical with me for a minute. Consider a Cain and Abel situation where the brother um, seeks to appease the murderous brother, the hateful brother, and says, hey, you know what? Let's just bring the same thing. You got some of that? We'll, let's just both bring that. What would that solve? What, what would that compromise solve? Well, I tell you what it will accomplish. It will accomplish making both brothers unacceptable before God. God's not lowering his standards because you want to be nice. God's not lowering his standards because we think we know better than Jesus. We don't make compromises with the world. We don't make concessions with God-haters. We fear God only. We obey him only. And we love the world who will hate you sacrificially. We love them sacrificially. Do you think, can you pick, pick any disciple who wanted Jesus to go to the cross? Guess what? They didn't want, at that moment, they didn't want to be loved the way Jesus wanted to love them. You realize that? They're with Jesus for three years. And at the end of it all, before Jesus is crucified, at the very end, they're still saying to Jesus, we don't want to be loved the way you want to love us. Good, aren't you glad Jesus didn't care about their feelings? Aren't you glad Jesus didn't care about their feelings? Jesus says, it's better that I go away. 
Jesus says in John 15, 18 through 20, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, listen to this, if you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. What did I do? And it's nothing you did. God did this. God chose you out of the world. I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If This is still Jesus talking. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. I've got some news for you this morning. You're not better than Jesus. You're not smarter than Jesus. You're not a better lover than Jesus. You're not better at anything Jesus did. This is Jesus' point. It's not that, that's not too simplistic. What Jesus is saying is, I have come. I've loved perfectly. What's the response? They hate me. They murder me. You are not better than me. You are the student. He is the master. You cannot one-up him. There's nothing you can do to change the outcome. You can't tweak the message a little bit and make it acceptable to the world and get a different outcome. Oh, they'll like it now. You can tweak the message and they'll like it. But all of a sudden, you're not following Christ anymore. You're not greater than your master. He loved perfectly. The world hated him. The world rejected him. Don't be surprised when the world hates you and rejects you. How do we know that we have passed from death to life? Verse 14. How do we know that we have passed from death to life? Because we love the brethren. That's the answer. How do you know? Because you love the brethren. John has already gone over this kind of inquiry, put a couple different ways, and he'll continue to do it a, a few more times in his letter. John, 1 John 2, 3, he says, and by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. In 1 John 2, 5 and 6, it says, by this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. In 1 John 4, 13, he says, By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. All of the answers to these questions involve what is evident and discernible. Keep his commandments. Walk in the same way. He has given us his spirit. It's evident And it's discernible. In other words, our lives actually are to reflect the reality that we have been given new life. Our lives are to reflect the reality that we actually have been given new lives. Our lives should evidence this to the blind unbeliever, no less than to our spouse, siblings. Go down the list. We could put it this way, the assurance of your salvation, the assurance of your salvation is something that should generally 
be perceivable, discernible by those around you. Generally, it shouldn't be questionable. We should be able to grab a hold of each other's assurance of salvation. We should be able to grab a hold of it. Your elders should be able to grab a hold of it. If those who are consistently around you don't even know you're a Christian, then you're not doing it right. This is what John is saying. Here's how you know. Evident. It's evident. Um, The fruit of the Spirit, if the people around you are seeing you walk unlike Christ, that's not good. If they're seeing the opposite of the fruit of the Spirit, notice the fruit of the Spirit. It's all, all of those descriptors are things that happen in relationship, that things that other people can see in you. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, self-control. All of these things are things that other people can and should be able to see and experience in you. They may not have self-control, but they should see your self-control. They may not have love, but they should see your love. They may not have peace, but they should see your peace, Christian. This is, this is the evidence that John wants you to have. If they see you breaking the commands of Christ, if they, say, if they see you hating the brethren, how might they see you hating the brethren? Gossip, slander, envious talk, contentious strife. If that's what people see, you are going to struggle with doubt. If that's what people see and experience when they're around you, you will struggle with doubt. Remember at the beginning of the letter in, in 1 John 1, 1 through 4, it's John is writing, describing that which was seen, heard, looked upon, and touched. John speaks so plainly that it's uncomfortable at times. It's really simple at the end of the day. Do you abide in life or in death? Whoever does not love abides in death. Do you abide in life or in death? Whoever does not love abides in death. When the Ten Commandments were given on Mount Sinai, the heart condition of God's people was squarely in view. Sometimes we're tempted to think that in the Old Covenant, under the law, God only cared about what we did on the outside. And it's not true at all. When the Ten Commandments were given to Moses, the heart condition was squarely in view and there was no justifiable or legitimate way to keep the law externally with a heart that was far from God. Israel tried to do that. They, they fell into that over and over and guess what? They got judged for it. They got rejected for it. And so, God 
God's people have always been required and expected to obey from faith and not merely external rule keepers. Be external rule keepers. God did not want external rule rule keepers in the old covenant and um, heart obeyers in the new covenant. God always wanted the entire person. God always wanted the entire person. Um, In fact, it was the prophet Habakkuk who said, the just shall live by faith. The righteous shall live by faith. Jesus also made this point clear in his Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5 when he said, adultery and murder are heart issues. Adultery and murder are heart issues. And Jesus gives the Sermon on the Mount and he recalibrates the hearers to hear back what the law uh, intended, back what was originally intended. See, the children of Israel, the Jews, began to fall yet again into these empty traditions. And they followed God externally, but their hearts were far from God. Jesus said to the Pharisees, you are whitewashed tombs, dead men inside, fine, fine enough looking on the outside. But Jesus even said that you're not even keeping the law. Well, they kept it on the outside. How could Jesus say they're not keeping the law? Because their hearts were far from God. And so Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, listen, if you hate in your heart, you're guilty of murder. If you lust in your heart, you're guilty of adultery. There's a connection, a direct connection between your heart and your hands. Keeping the appearance of the law while your heart is far from God is what the Bible calls hypocrisy. And God hates that. God hates that. Jesus says if you're guilty of hate, you're guilty of murder. And no murderer is going to have eternal life in him. John is saying nothing different than Jesus was in the Sermon on the Mount there. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer and no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. There's no way to appeal to an external resemblance of law-keeping with a heart that is full of hate. So the, no, um, there is no question, there is no ambiguity, it is abundantly clear. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer and no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. If this condemns you this morning because you have hate in your heart, somebody here in this room or not in this room, what's the solution? What's the answer? Take up that posture of bold repentance at the throne of grace. Confess your sin, repent before God. Give it to God. If you don't, you cannot have fellowship with God. If you object to this on the ground, if you object to this on the ground that you cannot control how you feel or how you emotionally respond to somebody who even grievously or genuinely wrongs you. We can conjure up all kinds of worst case scenario 
um, uh, examples of being wronged, being the victim of somebody else's sin toward us. And we say, well, how am I supposed to control how I feel or how I emotionally respond to this person who has wronged me so grievously? And the answer is, we can't always control that. We don't have to control how, and this goes back to the whole reality that I said before, as long as we are in these corruptible bodies, as long as we are um, still renewing our mind, we'll never be sinless. The point isn't that you have to get all of your emotional responses right the first time. The point is you take all of those emotional responses right or wrong, you take them to Jesus and you give them to him. You let him have them. God, I hate this person because of what they did to me. Give it to God because if you hang on to that, the only person you're hurting is yourself. Give it to God. Forgive that person. Forgive that person and love that person. That's impossible when we calculate our human capacity. (laughs) That's impossible for you to do by yourself. But you must do it in Christ because that's how God loved you. God is love, and of course, you cannot love rightly. God is love. You cannot, if you could do it, God didn't need to send Jesus. You can't do it. He sent Jesus sacrificially to to show us the sacrificial love, what this love looks like. And now that love has been put into your heart. Jesus loved us while we were still enemies. That person may die your enemy That doesn't have to stop you from sacrificially loving them. It cannot stop you. (laughs) If you could do it by yourself, then you would not need the Jesus who the author of Hebrews says ever lives to make intercession for you. When it comes to loving one another, there's another danger that we need to be aware of and that is loving Uh, wrongly we could say uh, simply, but it is loving yourself while you're telling God and you're telling yourself that you're loving them. Excuse me, I don't have time to tell the whole story, but I'll just give you a brief overview of it. Charles Spurgeon told the story of a guy, big carrot, and he took it to the king. And he said, king, I grew this big carrot. And the king said, thank you. That's amazing. And he says, all right, see you later. And the king says, wait just a minute. Because of this great gift that you've given me, I want to give you a track of land for you to have. And so the guy says, thank you. Well, there's this nobleman over here, you know, off to the side, and he says, oh man, if this guy gets land for giving the king a carrot, just wait till I give him a horse. And so the guy comes the next day and says, here, king, I've got this beautiful black stallion. It's the best, and I want to give it to you. And the king says, "Um, thank you. See you later. And he says, what, what? He said, the, the point is, the farmer gave the king the carrot. The nobleman gave himself a horse. You see, he went through all the same motions, but he was giving himself a horse. He was giving himself a reward. He wasn't giving the king a horse. 
He was manipulating, right? And so John tells us how to know love. How do we know what love is? We look to the love of God. We look to God's love. And when we look to God's love, we see that it is a sacrificial love. It is a love that came to us while we were still sinners, while we were God's enemies. How much did we deserve God's love? None whatsoever. And yet God loved us anyway. That's the way we are to love, sacrificially, humbly. We lay down our lives in sacrifice for one another. We don't withhold love to determine how much somebody deserves it. We don't withhold love to determine how much somebody deserves it. We give love sacrificially. And yet, often Christians are guilty of loving themselves, just like the guy who gave the king the horse. We're guilty of loving ourselves. Well, I'll love this person back because this person's got some, some stuff to give back to me. And I'm not talking about money. I'm not talking about like that, like where you say, I'll like this person because then they'll give me material stuff. We do this so much in relationships where we say, I'm not gonna like befriend that person because they are a leech. I'm gonna befriend this person over here because they can contribute to my life just like I can contribute to their life. And Jesus says we should not love and make calculations on our relationships that way. We should love sacrificially. What if this person can give you no relational capital back? Should you not love them? Should you not sacrificially lay your life down for them? How many of us are guilty of just that? We, it's easy to see how foolish this is when it comes to like external, like give somebody money who can give back to you. And we, I, I would say that we probably avoid that really obvious, goofy one. We'll give alms to the poor even though they can't give us back. But we do not do this well in terms of our relation, uh, relationships. And this is what it's all about here. John is talking about loving. Verse 17, John connects our hearts to our earthly goods. Jesus does the same thing when he says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. John is drawing a straight line between our hearts and our actions. He's drawing a straight line between our heart and our deeds, our actions, our stuff. And lastly, in verse 18, our love should of course be manifest in our word, and our talk. But John's point is that true love is ultimately a tangible manifestation that goes beyond word or talk. True love did not stay word. Word became flesh. Jesus is our tangible manifestation of love, of life, of light, of truth. And we have heard him, we have seen him with our eyes, we have looked upon him, we have touched him with our hands, and so too must our love be for one another, church. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. All right, let us prepare to come to the table now. And this is the table where, the, where love has been given to us to feed upon. Love has been given for us to feed on here. And here we are invited again to Jesus Christ. This is the call that goes out every week. I remember when our church started to change, they said, how come we don't do altar calls anymore? Well, guess what? We do one every week.
now. We do one every week. This is a call to come to the altar, to come to the table, to where Christ is offered for you. You may be hearing this and saying, I've never trusted in Christ. This is the call to the altar for you to come and welcome to Jesus Christ. And so, church, come and welcome to Jesus. Come to the table. Please stand. I'm going to give you your charge, and then we are going to sing the doxology together, and then I will offer up a benediction, a blessing to you. The charge is this. Love not merely in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Christ fellowship. Love not merely in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. And if you find yourself guilty of failing to love one another rightly, do not delay. Make it right. Make it right. Confess your sin and reconcile with your brothers and your sisters. Do not delay. If you are loving rightly and you are surprised or concerned that the world hates you, do not be surprised and do not compromise. When you are loving rightly, the world will hate you. Which means that you will have the perfect opportunity to demonstrate the love of Christ. Embrace the opportunity. Embrace it. Amen.